far as I'm concerned, your premiums, they're going to start to come down. We're going to get this passed through the Senate. I feel so confident. Uh, your deductibles, when it comes to deductibles, they were so ridiculous that nobody got to use their current plan. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and that, of course, was President Donald Trump talking yesterday after the House of Representatives finally passed his alternative to the Affordable Care Act. Trump has said one of his first goals in office is to repeal and replace that federal health care law. Now he and Republicans in Congress are making progress toward that goal. Plan to overhaul health insurance in America narrowly passed the state house, the House of Representatives yesterday, and now goes to the U.S. Senate. It's not clear how many millions of people could lose health insurance under the plan, but some estimates of a previous version of the plan put that number over 20 million. It's also unclear what will happen in the end to people with pre-existing conditions, which, by the way, is the vast majority of people who use health care. But we don't know uh, how significantly it will affect that. We do know it will significantly scale back protections for uh, people with pre-existing conditions. We just don't know what that will all look like. One of the reasons we don't know, in fact, is because Republicans in the House refuse to wait for the CBO scoring that accompanies almost all legislation where the Congressional Budget Office takes a look at what they're thinking about doing and says, well, here's what will happen if you do that. Republicans said they didn't need to wait to do that. They were all right to go ahead and pass it and see what happens. Uh, we will all see, of course, what happens when this gets to the Senate, which I think uh, will have a cooler sort of approach to all of these things, maybe a more level-headed approach to those things. But the real big questions here are whether we will see savings in premiums and deductibles as Trump and Republicans are promising. Uh, what will this mean for the economy? What will it mean for small businesses? And Importantly, what will this mean for the poor? One of the things that has rubbed me absolutely the wrong way during this entire debate this year about health care is the callous approach that we have seen from the majority in Congress and from the White House with regard to those people who depend on government help to get health insurance, people who are benefiting from the expansion of Medicaid that the Affordable Care Act got us people who had pre-existing conditions before who couldn't afford uh, health care because they couldn't get insurance, who now are able to get that care. I don't feel like uh, the Republican majority has has expressed any sort of compassion at all for those folks, even though a lot of those folks are their voters. If you look at the state of Michigan, think of people in Macomb County, people up north in places like Sheboygan who depend on the Medicaid expansion that was part of the Affordable Care Act. They are the losers in this new bill. Why aren't the people who represent them standing up and saying that they need to be attended to, that the legislation, uh, if you're going to change the Affordable Care Act, ought to account for their well-being. Here to, to discuss all of this with me today is Nolan Finley, the editorial page editor of the Detroit News. Nolan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Steve. 
Yeah. Uh, and also, we want to hear from you, the listeners. Give us a call and tell us what you think of what the House of Representatives did yesterday. Tell us what you think of this bill uh, as it heads to the Senate. Uh, tell us what you think about the things that Donald Trump said yesterday during the press conference where he says he promises that premiums will go down, that deductibles will go down, that more people will be able to access healthcare as a result of this than, uh, than right now. Also, call and tell me what you think about the idea of changing the way we deal with pre-existing conditions. I saw that as a cultural milestone uh, when we passed the Affordable Care Act, where we were saying that people's coverage, people's access to health care meant more than money. I think that is a marker in American history. Now the House of Representatives says we're going to erase that marker and go back to another way. Are you okay with that? Do you think that's the right way to change the Affordable Care Act, even if you're a critic of the health reform that we have? Do you think that what they're doing in Washington right now is an improvement? Will it Will it cover more people? Will it make it more affordable for those of us who have coverage to access that coverage? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Call and tell us what you think about the new health reform that is emerging in, in Washington. Nolan, uh, I want to give you a chance to, up front to, to talk Correct about- Correct all that misinformation. Uh, course, that's right. That's why we have you here. Uh, you see this You see this in a different way than than, than I do. Uh, I, I think where we you and I agree is that uh, the ACA was an imperfect way to solve- these problems. It, it's it, a disaster. It, well, you say a disaster, I say imperfect, but uh, we'll, we'll find some sort of happy medium there, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but my question for you mm-hmm. is whether what they're doing in Washington now is a better solve for those problems or just a way to get back at Democrats and President Obama for the ACA. I think it begins to solve some some problems with the ACA. This idea that the pre-existing conditions protection goes away is just absolute um, absolutely wrong. Why? Um, community community rating standards and guaranteed issue remain the default of this new law. Governors can ask for waivers if they want to innovate and develop a, Based on cost. another an, another problem, but to do so they have to tap into this 100 plus billion dollar high risk pool that the governor government is setting up and that pool could actually solve a key problem of Obamagare, one of the things that is driving up premiums and driving people off off of the exchanges. Uh, if right now the healthy people and the sickest people are rated pretty much the same in terms of premiums, if you uh, go back to a market rate, closer to a market rate system where the, the, the people who use insurance more, the sickest people, elderly, pay a higher premium, but those premiums are subsidized out of this high risk pool, you could drive premiums down for everyone else and protect these these elderly and sick sick at risk people from what's happening now. What's happening now is the is yeah, the insurance companies are keeping their premiums at 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 the um, community rating, but they're slapping on onerously high deductibles and co-pays to make that insurance all but useless for them and to drive them off the policies because 
they, you know, they're losing their shirts on these policies. And so the only way to stop that is to drive these people off or subsidize their policy. So I think those that you high think the risk subsidies are, are, are high enough. Well, I think they're going to have to be. And if, are they high enough in this bill? I don't know. I do know they tried a version of this, they experimented with a version of this in Alaska, which is, you know, a, a state with a whole lot of sick people, a whole lot of poor people, a whole lot of at-risk risk people, basically a rural state with all that comes with that. And they held premium increases down to 7% after two years of 40% increases and managed to keep coverage. I mean, here's the truth. The first quarter of this year, CDC reports that the number of uninsured in this country went up. Uh, several states, Kentucky, Tennessee, Minnesota, they, the exchange is on their verge of going away because there aren't enough insurers who are willing to participate. Sure. You've got huge yeah, problems no, uh, going yeah, on yeah. that we've got to solve. I don't know if this is the answer. I know it's part of an answer. And I know this this atmosphere in Washington where it's become a political gotcha game and no one wants to work together on this is the as an absolute affront to the American people who depend on health insurance and a health system that works. Yeah. Uh, I expressed in the in the open there my frustration with this really callous attitude that Republican lawmakers have have uh, have uh, adopted here and I think that was no uh, nowhere on better display than at the White House yesterday when you had this photo which I think will come back to haunt that party for years of a bunch of white guys uh, all cheering this legislation and cheering basically uh, as as a, a, a revenge uh, kind of measure against President Obama and and Democrats I, you know, uh, I, I, I think there are many reasonable arguments and debates to be able to have about how we cover people in this country and how we cover more people and how we lower costs for people who have coverage. What is the but but what is the obligation of that party to represent the people who vote for them? I mean, well, this, these people that were cheering have been. Um, for the last six years or, or, or longer, been, uh, been elected to office based on the misery caused to their voters by Obamacare. Those, those voters sit See, them down there. I guess I'm not there. sure that's their, true. Their voters sit them down there to do this. Of course it's true, See, Steve. But the assumption here on the left that, oh, we have a program, we've solved the problem, is what irritates me. Medi- you you <laughs> talked about Medicare as benefit, as, as this benefit, yeah. Medicaid, I'm sorry, as this benefit and, and solution here. Medicaid is barely insurance. You have no a program that more and more doctors won't take. I think half the doctors don't take it today. It hasn't cut emergency room visits because of that. Uh, it, the CDC did a story. It hasn't improved health out- outcomes, but we think just because we've had a program, we've got a program, we've solved the problem, regardless of whether that program is working to help anybody. So yeah. I think it, if we can get a system, if this bill can encourage innovation and allow the states to come up with programs that actually work, I mean, health insurance isn't the end all. It's it's health care. And are we right. improving and we're not access to health care? And we're not talking about yeah. that. But uncompensated care is down under the ACA. And it's not just about somewhat. emergency. Well, not somewhat. I mean, somewhat. go go talk to the people at the DMC about how much less they are eating in uncompensated care. Uh, hospitals all over the country are-, are Not in rural areas. Are, 
In rural America, they're, it's killing They're them. not dealing with uncompensated care. What they're dealing with is, as you point out, uh, emergency room visits. It's going to take some time for people who are just now getting coverage to to normalize the way that they use the system and find a doctor, go regularly, and, and keep themselves healthier. But it's going in the other direction, Steve. People are losing insurance because the exchanges are going, other people are are, going right. away. I mean, it's, it's not the answer. This thing needs fixing. And instead of playing political football, we should all acknowledge Democrats you know, made this mess. They have an obligation to join the fix. And instead, they're sitting here um, gleefully pointing at, at Republicans for not being able to fix this absolute disorder that they created. That's think, not the way to govern. Do you think that, that, that the, uh, fixing this in, what has it been, 45 uh, uh, days uh, since this legislation uh, was first introduced, do you think that's a reasonable way to no. go about this? Or do they, should they be taking their time and actually thinking it through coming up with things that would work. We wrote that editorial yesterday. Yeah. You don't have to get this done in the first month. You just have but to that, be But that sort of exposes it as about it. politics and revenge, right? But that's how it was put in place, Steve. That's not hurry. how it was. Oh, that is absolutely it was untrue. put in place in Two a hurry. Two years of hearings and and uh, debate, an extraordinary session in which what the year president was it passed? 2009 it was pres- 2010. 2000, okay, and he came in the office start of 2009. 2009. That's t- they had almost f- uh, f- two full years of debate about this. We had an extraordinary session. Well, it didn't session. do much good given had, the mess they committed. But back to your we had an extraordinary your, session where the question, president yeah. went over to the Capitol and met with Republicans and, who and they said still, that they were open-minded they, about it and then they all and voted they still against created it. a disaster I think what they should have done is come into office I think they could have satisfied their voters and met their promise by bringing in the people from the insurance industry people from the healthcare industry consumer advocates and say what are the problems what are driving up premiums what's driving up copays Deal with costs. Uh, what's driving up um, health care costs and and do a comprehensive fix so that we don't have to do this again the next time the government changes hands. we got to take this off the political table and fix this for Americans. You talk to insurance insurers and they have some They're things worried. they want. I mean, one of the things when you talk about pre-existing commission, conditions, everybody wants to cover pre-existing conditions. But if... You're able, you know, you when when this thing passed, we heard stories about people losing their insurance on the way to the the operating room. Well, people shouldn't be able to buy insurance on the way to the operating <laughs> room and then drop it on the way out. And that's what's been helping to to drive up these premium costs. So if if you address continuous coverage, for example, which this bill doesn't, but if you bring the insurers in and the healthcare people in and put them together, because right now they're not on the same page, and say, what do we need to do and actually get at a fix that where if it took two years, yeah. we're in better shape than we I, are now. I agree with that. They ought to slow it down and actually think this through. All right, enough from us. Uh, we got lots of people on the phones who want to chime in on this conversation. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We will work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Patty in Southfield. Patty, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, hello. Um, I just want to know why people don't just honestly tell the simple truth that the insurance companies want to make more money. I mean, you know, and the Republicans are on their side. How much profit does the insurance companies have to make? You know what I mean? And you I mean, feel like that—that's you feel like that's the upshot of this bill? Absolutely. 
I mean, I sold insurance for years, you know? I mean, insurance companies make a ton of money. Yeah. How much money? Then you know, people talk about the exchanges leaving. Well, of course, because they're not making enough profit. It's always about money. It's always about greed. Well, so That's how do you I change think. that then? What do we, I mean, what, 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 you, well, I you, you sold people, insurance. You know, you know, people, you know, in the government need to look at the insurance companies, but you're sure not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember when 9-11, they said that the insurance company, after all the money they put out, it was like, like a one percent or a half a percent of their of their their profits it's ridiculous yeah uh, but, patty i i appreciate uh, the call I, I, i'm i you know one of the criticisms of the aca in fact was that it was going to be a boon for insurance companies uh i'm not sure it turned out that way i Blue mean they Cross. certainly got more they got certainly got more clients out of it, right? People who didn't have insurance before, but all of them are now saying it's too expensive to stay in these markets and they're pulling, they're pulling back. Blue Cross lost 70 million on the individual market last year. That's not profit gorging when you're losing that kind of money. This, it's just, the model doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Fernando in Dearborn. Welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. So, um, thanks for having me. I, um, my comment was that I think a lot of people who voted, you know, against essentially universal health care and the idea of it um, were kind of afraid of some of the outcomes. For example, I was I lived in Australia for two years and I lived with a friend who had um, epilepsy and she um, had a, an extremely long wait time to see a doctor. And I just I, I've heard people say, you know, um, Australia is so great and, you know, everything is, is perfect there. Um, but, you know, I, my experience was not so. And so I, I just felt like um, people wish that they had more freedom to be able to pay for the coverage that they wanted, the, uh, at least the folks who I was around. And I just wasn't really looking hmm. forward to having that here. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting, Fernando. I mean, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I, I think comparisons to other countries are useful and helpful uh, at the same time there is no other there is no other western nation that has the number of uninsured people that we have there is no other western nation that pays as much per capita for their health care as we do and many other nations that spend less are getting better outcomes so i i, I do think that we've got to sort of frame the conversation around those points and those problems to get to something better. And whether it looks like what they have in Australia or what what they have in Germany or France, I guess, is to me ancillary to the question of how do you make sure that we cover more people, that we pay less for that coverage, and that we get better outcomes uh, than we have. But Fernando does hit a reality of uh, government-provided health care, single-payer health care. There are, in every one of these countries, long waits. You don't have as much medical choice as we have in this country. We have a great deal of freedom in our in our health care. Those of us who have choices. money and those insurance who, those have those, those freedoms. Those of us who do. And, and when, when Obamacare started, 85% of the country had, had health insurance. Today, it's um, the number has been reduced to... Uh, or, or improved to 90%, but yeah. it has not it's gone not anywhere near providing universal insurance, which was part of the goal. But I think we, we, we keep talking about insurance and the cost of insurance instead of the cost of health care. And I, I think part of this discussion, it has to be twinned 
with how do you cut the cost of health care? What do you do in the way of tort reform, in the way of paperwork reduction, forcing best practices, uh, making sure all areas have quality health care professionals? Uh, that should be part of this discussion hand in hand because you're not going to reduce insurance costs until you start dealing with health care costs, yeah. which have gone crazy. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Uh, Maggie in Dearborn, you're up next. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm incredibly offended by a lot of the conversation I'm hearing on the right. Um, my husband and I were not able to afford health care prior to the Affordable Care Act. We both um, had pre-existing conditions. Uh, with the um, expansion of Medicaid, we were able to receive the necessary medical care treatment uh, medications. We saw the doctors of our choice. We were patients at the University of Michigan healthcare system, outstanding care. Um, I am horrified at the prospects of losing that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, you're speaking on behalf of a lot of people, a lot of people here in Southeast Michigan, a lot of people in the state of Michigan in really poor areas that are represented by the people who voted for this. And I think, you know, there has to be some reckoning at some point with uh, this idea that the people we're sending to Washington to do better for us are present, pr- uh, producing these kinds of ideas that are going to make people uh, sicker, they're going to make people poorer, uh, they're going to make the system worse. Uh, Maggie, I really appreciate you calling and uh, adding that to the the conversation. Colleen and Berkeley, you're up next. Hi, thanks yeah. for uh, being there. Uh-huh. And boy, oh boy, my question sure has changed since I talked to your screener, but I'll, I'll <laughs> stick to it. But I would like to say to Mr. Finley, um, and this is rhetorical, I'm going to hang up and, and, and just listen. Um, just like your previous caller, the ACA and Medicaid has worked beautifully for my family. So I'm wondering whether he has actually talked to people who have been using the programs before he makes this statement that it's a disaster, or whether he's just talking to the insurance companies and other government officials. But my question, actually I don't really have a question but a statement, something that killed me this morning when I read it on social media Someone made the point that no one would be stupid enough to vote as they did yesterday if they felt there was going to continue to be free and fair elections. And so my thought is, are they just that stupid or what exactly is up their Armani sleeves? And I'm going to hang up and listen to you go. (laughs) Okay, Colleen, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're trying to suggest there. But, But, But the first question, which is, you know, uh, Nolan, you and I have this conversation a lot mm-hmm. about about uh, the differences in opinion about health coverage, uh, and and we talk about sure. people who you know whose premiums have ra- have have gone way up, whose whose deductibles are are now out of reach for them in terms of of health care. But we don't talk a lot about the people who have been helped by this. I hear from those people an awful lot. I am in contact with a lot of those folks a lot. How much are you hearing from people who have benefited from Medicaid expansion, for instance, or of the pre-existing condition change? Well, I think we, for one, I think we need to back off the hysteria a little. Medicaid is not going away, and the Medicaid expansions are not going away. What this bill, again, and pre-existing condition 
mandates are not going away. This bill provides mandates in the hopes that the state can come states can come up with more innovative and creative the solutions cost to states much to fix. earlier. It doesn't and not necessarily so. It depends how how these high risk pools work and I'm hoping they do work. But this idea that Obamacare or or the ACA it's all going away with this bill. That's one reason this thing faces a tough time in the Senate because you have Republican ideologues like uh, Rand Paul standing up and saying, this still has the government too much involved in our health insurance. It still continues provisions of Obamacare. And it does that. And yeah. I think the biggest um, threat but, but to this instance, bill is from those Republicans who believe you can now go back to nine, or 2010 and, and return to that market that has been destroyed. It's gone. It's gone. And you can't recreate it. And but, but I think for, most, of, uh, most of the provisions... I look at this bill as saving and preserving Obamacare more than replacing well, but it because the, the way we are have still there. the way we're doing Medicaid expansion in Michigan, for instance, mm-hmm. it would go away if those costs are shifted to the state. But that assumes that we that we're we're not going to be able to come up with solutions for Michigan and innovations for Michigan. A way to right that now, money? right now we're like we might not take as much money. Right now we're locked in to the mandates of the federal government. Maybe we'll we can craft policies that um, are more flexible that meet the needs of certain population groups instead of one one size fit yeah. all mandates. You know that I have would, driven up the cost. I I, I would sign on to that if I had any faith in the leadership that we have in this state right now to come up with that stuff. There's no appetite in Lansing to talk about raising revenue, for instance, to replace a loss of federal dollars for this Medicaid expansion. You can't get them to talk about raising money to to fix the roads here. I mean, there's just, it would be politically impractical to save this program if this bill passed. Well, d- let's not you know, default to the idea that every fix requires more tax dollars. Well, this As one I said, would. I mean, if you, if you, if you, once you take those, all of those coverage mandates that every group of people may not need and allow folks to, to structure plans, for example, structure plans for young people who don't need all of the same Coverage. I mean, before Obamacare, Blue Cross was selling a plan for young adults yeah, for about 150 bucks a month. You can't buy that plan today. So if we could, if if we get back into the place where we can structure plans that make sense for individuals and for small groups, we might be able to do this without raising that revenue. But you talk. I mean, I don't know how much burden, more healthcare burden, you can put on American households. Their the, their healthcare out of pocket expenditures have soared, and now you're going to ask them for another tax on top of that. I mean, it is it is eaten. Well, into supposedly their, they're going to go down after this if this I bill passes. So. We'll see. Uh, as always, Nolan Finley, editorial page editor of the Detroit News. A pleasure to have you. In in the studio. Thanks, baby. To, to say the opposite of what I say. Our listeners right. get both sides. That's what I live for. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, up next, we're going to talk with the Michigan author and historian uh, Heather Ann Thompson about her Pulitzer Prize winning work, taking a look at the Attica prison uprising and the era of mass incarceration that followed. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Mm-hmm.